Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I am your host, Sayla Prack. Today, we have our special guest, Doug Spence. Doug is an active duty U.S. Navy officer and real estate investor from Houston, Texas. He is the founders of Honors and Equity, a thought leadership platform for educating military members and veterans about real estate investing. He is a co-GP on an RV park syndication fund that is buying RV parks throughout the Sun Belt and he has done multiple out-of-state burrs and flips. He owns properties in Florida, Wisconsin, Oklahoma, and California, and has invested in various syndications as a limited partner. He lives in San Diego right now with his wife, Kate, and their son, Calvin. So, Doug, welcome, and thank you so much for spending time with us today. So, welcome to the show. Hey, Sayla. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. So, first of all, thank you so much for your service. Yeah, of course. So can you please share a little bit more about your background and how did you get started with real estate? Yeah, so I finished college back in like 07, 08 and decided to join the military. So I commissioned as an officer back in 2009 and uh, I've been in active duty Navy ever since. So almost 14 years now and lived all over, lived in California a couple of times, Florida a couple of times, lived in Japan for three years. I've done a flight instructor tour. I've deployed on aircraft carriers multiple times, deployed to Iraq before, all kinds of cool stuff in the military. And then um, kind of got into real estate in 2016. I started listening to Bigger Pockets, like a lot of people do, you know, and uh, kind of got the bug from there. Bought my first property, which was a primary residence in Pensacola, Florida. I still own that property today and really got the bug from there. I got kind of addicted to it as we do, right? So, Bought my first dedicated investment property. I still own that property, but it was a primary residence. So I bought my first dedicated investment property in 2018. It was a turnkey property in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I ended up buying two more uh, properties from that same turnkey provider. And then I realized I wanted to be more involved. So I started doing out-of-state burrs and flips. And I decided on Oklahoma as a market there. So started really growing there. And eventually wanted to start going bigger. So I got into uh, syndications, both as an, a limited partner. And as of last year, one of my big goals last year was to be a co-GP on a syndication. So I hit that goal uh, with some friends of mine that are doing an RV syndication fund called the Campfire Fund. And so that's what we're working on now is buying RV parks all along the uh, Sunbelt. And then... So just working on that while I'm doing the active duty thing. And my wife and I have an eight-month-old at home as well. So doing the uh, the child thing now too, which is fantastic. But uh, yeah, that's kind of my story in a nutshell. Wow. That's a uh, congratulation on the child. So thank you. You know, um, I just want to ask this question, you know, like as an active duty, you relocate quite a bit. And what's going through your minds of starting looking into real estate? You mentioned about doing a turnkey. What get you to think about doing uh, real estate investing? Before I even had a family, before I even met my wife, I knew that I wanted to have passive income 
so that I could have more time freedom. So kind of realized that as part of, you know, reading Rich Dad Poor Dad and listening to Bigger Pockets, you know, years ago. So I knew that that was kind of the long distance goal was that financial freedom that comes with real estate. And I also knew being in the military that I'd have to be comfortable with out of state investing, right? Because we, like you said, it's pretty common for us to move around the country, sometimes around the world. So I couldn't be the person that was only investing where I lived. So I picked up David Green's book, Long Distance Real Estate Investing, which was probably the first real estate book I read. And it was hugely impactful for me because it helped me realize that you don't have to live where you want to live, or in my case, where the military tells you to live and invest where the numbers make sense. So that was a big first moment in my real estate you know, journey was overcoming that mental hurdle that I think a lot of people have. You talk about the mental hurdles and one of the things that investing outside of where you live or out of state, some of us living in California, like myself, we in a market where Unfortunately, we're unable to invest in our backyard because it's so expensive here. Yeah, it is. And so we have to look at outside of the state. So what actually helped you making that jump, like to be comparable to invest outside of where you live? Or I know you mentioned that it's going to be investing not exactly where you live because you move so many different places. But what actually challenging your mindset and said, you know what, I'm going to pull this trigger. I'm comparable with this market. I'm going to do it. Yeah, that's a great question. I think the biggest catalyst for that was being in a mastermind group and being surrounded by people that were already doing it and people that I could lean on like, hey, I you know, I have this problem or people that I could ask questions to. We're, you know, meeting weekly in that first mastermind group that I joined and I think for any beginner investor of any level, you need to be in a mastermind group. You need to surround yourself with people that are doing what either have already done what you want to do or are doing what you want to do and they will help you set good goals they'll hold you accountable and so that was really another big moment for me was joining a mastermind group and you know getting that encouragement and seeing other military members that were further along than me because I know active duty folks that buy apartment complexes and like they do big serious stuff and they're still active duty and I'm like man if if they can do that I can do it too so that was a big Part of it was being in a mastermind group, being surrounded by those folks. And after that, you mentioned about you acquiring a turnkey. Can you define the definition of what a turnkey is and how's that turnkey property helping you like with your real estate journey? Right. Yeah. So turnkey is typically you'll have a, a company that buys a home that needs a lot of work usually in like a C class market they're usually in like higher cash flow markets like Midwest you know Memphis Arkansas Wisconsin where you have a lot of workforce housing where you can buy homes for cheap fix them up and then they rent pretty well relative to the mortgage payment so and when you buy turnkey that that provider they're basically flipping a home but instead of selling it on the MLS, they sell it to an investor. And so then the investor is buying a property that is already rehabbed, already has a tenant in place, and it's cash flowing from day one. So that was really appealing for me. I had always been a strong saver. And so I had capital saved up. And this was an opportunity back when I started doing it, when real estate was cheaper, I could buy a $100,000 home that brought in 
you know, eleven, twelve hundred dollars a month, and the mortgage payment was like six hundred dollars, and it only needed twenty or twenty five percent down. So that was you know greater than a ten percent cash on cash return. So I was like, hey, this is great. I don't have to do the work. My work is working my W two, saving money, putting it into real estate. That's what was appealing to me. And through a podcast, I heard a, a turnkey provider, two guys that started the company, Stu Grazier and David Gutierrez. They were roommates at the Naval Academy. So I already felt a connection to them because we're both in the Navy and all three of us were in the Navy and I felt like I could trust them, you know? So, and I had a conversation with them and that's the key with turnkey or really any kind of investing like that is you really have to vet the operator. Like the deal has to make sense, right? But more important than the deal is like the operator, you know, the integrity, the character, the track record, et cetera. So uh, that's how I got into turnkey and I still own those properties and they've, they've done well. Well, it sounds like they done really well. I mean, so it already got fixed up and then it's already cash flowing. You mentioned about, uh, you know, six, seven hundred dollars mortgage and then you rented about eleven hundred or twelve hundred dollars. So basically close to like two percent rule, which yeah. is it's weird hard to find a cash flow property like that nowadays. So absolutely. And you can't get those interest rates, you know, right now. So that's um, and well, and the other thing is even. Six months ago, a year ago, these so many people started learning about these turnkey companies that they had such a long wait list. Like Mid South Home Buyers in Memphis is a big one. They had a two year wait list for a prop- wow. for one property. So I mean, that's the other thing. It's like, do you want to wait two years to buy a property? Like I didn't. So that's what drove me to doing my own thing. Like get kind of mm-hmm. out of state. But plus, I enjoyed it. I enjoy the process of like finding the team members and vetting the deal and like, you know, the nuts and bolts of real estate investing, you know, and all that rehab. So I enjoy that. Uh, that's what drove me to the next level, which was those out-of-state person flips. That's a really good segue to my next question for that was the person flip. Can you elaborate on that? I know she already mentioned about, you know, you don't want to wait for too long to buy a properties from another turnkey providers. Um, so you want to jump on and do hands-on by yourself. So can right. you walk us through the process you're talking about uh, finding the, the team members? How do you vet the team members? How do you vet the deal itself? Can you help yeah. us with that? Yeah, absolutely. I knew that I didn't want to have to wait, you know, a year, year and a half. I was like, the other part, the downside of turnkey versus burr investing is if you do burr correctly, it's a much better return on your capital because you're able to get some or all of your capital back versus leaving 20 to 25% in the deal, right? So that was appealing to me. So I decided to do an out of state burr. This was in 20, probably summer of 2020 was when I decided that. So I wanted to do a burr. And I decided on Oklahoma, uh, Oklahoma City in particular as the market because it checked a lot of boxes for what I wanted. I was living in San Diego uh, at the time. I just moved to San Diego. And so obviously San Diego's out because I don't have half a million dollars to buy a crappy house and then another quarter million dollars to fix it up. Right. So pretty expensive. So part of it was the cost of capital to buy the real estate there. So that was appealing. It's a diverse economy. It's not reliant on any individual industry. Uh, That's another important thing that investors need to consider with any investment. Oklahoma City and Tulsa, where I also invest, they have governments that are very favorable business climates because they know that bringing more businesses in brings more people, which brings in more tax revenue for them. And for us as a real estate investor, it brings in more renters, right? So uh, it drives up the rent rates and all that stuff. So you have the population growth, you have the job growth and all that. So check those boxes as well. And then how I found the team members was really the Bigger Pockets Forum. 
I love bigger pockets forums. I think it's a great way to connect with other real estate investors. And so I just made a post like, hey, who's the best agent property manager in Oklahoma City? A few names pop it up, and I just called a few different ones. I had a great conversation with a guy named Eli Davis in Oklahoma City. And he was a army dude. So there's that other military connection, right? So he was in the army for a while. And uh, he's been fantastic. We still work with him, still chat with him regularly. They manage our properties in Oklahoma. And then through him, his wife is a residential agent. He owns the property management company and he has a network of contractors. So I really, by connecting to one rock star, well, he's a commercial broker and a property manager, but by connecting with one person, that enabled me to tap into his network, right? So that was hugely beneficial for me. And he was willing to let me use his contractors really, you know, and project manage them at no additional cost, which was huge for me as an out-of-state guy. So yeah, I see your smile. Like, you know, it's, you know, when Andy said that, I was like, oh my God, this is great. So I pulled the trigger. Um, They brought me a deal. It was off market. Yeah. Happy to chat through that if you want, but that's how I found team members there and, and pick the market. So. So um, you're talking about like you posting a post on Pockets and talk to a couple of folks there. Is there any tips for someone who just started? How do you find the right team members? I know you say mm-hmm. that there's a connection between you and the gentleman that you talk to in terms right. of uh, he's in has a military background. But if he doesn't have a military background, what are you looking for to making yeah. sure that this is the yeah. right person? Yeah, to caveat, it's not just they. they, <laughs> yeah, they I understand. They need to have more than just a military background. But glad you asked that because... David Green's second book is the Burr book. So Burr stands for buy, rehab, rent, refinance, repeat. And that's a book that he wrote because he's done a ton of Burrs and has been successful at them. And that book really talks through the strategy and how to do it. And it literally, there's a chapter, I think it's the Burr book. It might be in long distance uh, real estate investing as well, where it's like a whole page of questions to ask a property manager. And so I literally just like, I was on the phone with the with all these property managers and I was just like, reading the questions, you know, like how many properties do you manage? You know, all the questions and how do you handle evictions? How do you, what's your fee structure? Um, you, do you charge a leasing fee? Do you have in-house contractors or do you outsource the contractors? Like all kinds of, you know, too many questions to even, you know, go through right now. But both of those are fantastic resources for anyone that wants to do that. But um, I literally just read the questions like from a book. So <laughs> yeah, you don't have to reinvent the questions, just like leverage someone else's experience, right? Just that was beneficial for me, for sure. So how was your experience doing the booze and flips at the at the time? You, you mentioned that if you do it right, you get, you know, like uh, the return is much better than the turnkey itself. Right. But at the same time, if you do it wrong, you know, then it will be like uh, a much big worse. blow, much worse. <laughs> right. So how do you know, what was your approach or a tips to our listener to making sure that they do it right? Do you buy it like 60 cents to a dollar or 50 cents to a dollar? How do you estimate all these construction costs or renovation costs and making sure that you make a good amount of return? Right. Great question. I think a lot of that is leaning on your team members. So your real estate agent there should be able to give you a good idea of what the property is worth in its current condition, what its ARV is. So after repair value, um, they should be able to tell you accurately what it will rent for both in its current condition and in, you know after it's been uh, renovated. So if you have the right team members, you get all the information from them. And then once you do an inspection, then you can you know get a full idea of, of the rehab. And, and if you're working with a really investor-friendly agent, he or she will 
give you an idea of what the rehab cost is going to be before you even put an offer on it. So that's huge. But yeah, you, I mean, you have to, if you're doing a per, you have to buy at a discount. It's typically going to be something off market or you're making lowball offers to something that's on the market. You have to buy it well below its value. And then you fix it up. You have to make sure you're fixing it up. Not as if it's your personal forever home, right? You have to make sure it's fixed up appropriate for renters in that neighborhood in that kind of house. And that's again where you lean on the agent. Like, hey, does this do I need granite countertops or can I do butcher block? You know, what amenities do they expect here in this neighborhood? So you don't want to overspend on your rehab. But but again, that's just leaning on the experts for for that kind of stuff. For the ARV, I got pretty good at determining the ARV, looking at comparables in the area. I use PropStream to do that. And I would get my ARV and then I'd ask the agent what she thought the ARV was. And then I'd, you know, kind of compare them. They're usually pretty close. So, and I'd always uh, be conservative with the ARV. If I thought it was 180 to 200K, I'd just go with the 180, you know, and with the rehab, if she thinks it's going to be 25K, I'd use 30, you know, because you're always going to be 10% over or so, something like that. So yeah, that's how I figured those numbers out. So how many were you able to do the bows and flips? Uh, are you still doing that right now? And how many at a time did you do? So we kind of stopped doing them for a number of reasons, mostly because we just want to go bigger, do bigger things. But as of now, we've done two burrs and two flips in Oklahoma. So not these crazy numbers like the people in bigger pockets, right? But you know, I got a full time job, so I can't can't do a uh, hundred a year or whatever the you know the people on the uh, bigger pockets do, but. Yeah. So my first one was a duplex in Oklahoma City, which we still own. And then I did a single family home burr in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and then two flips in uh, areas, uh, one in Tulsa, one just outside of Tulsa. So both of those, we made money on both of the flips and both of the burrs were pretty, pretty solid. That's awesome. I want to ask about the flip side part of it. So for yeah. the flips, is there any margins that you're usually looking for in order to be worthwhile of your time? Yeah, we wanted to make sure we and you know different flippers. Your pro flippers are mm-hmm. going to have much bigger numbers than this. It's also going to depend on your market, but we wanted to make sure we could make at least like ten or fifteen thousand uh, dollars on a flip, conservatively. So, um, and and the, we're talking homes that you know are ARVs of you know maybe one hundred twenty, one hundred fifty thousand, something like that. So. Those were our criteria, and the goal was always to burr. But if the if we were given a good deal and it just didn't rent for enough to make sense as a burr, but there was still enough of a margin there, then we would just do it as a flip. So. Got it. So basically between 10 to 15 or 18% of uh, uh, yeah. ROI, right. basically. Okay, yeah. perfect. Thank you for sharing that. Now, so you moving on, uh, you wanted to scale up and you yeah. started your honors and equities uh, company and then right. uh, start investing into RV parking. So talk to us about that. Right. Yeah. So so I started honor and equity back in 2020 and I just wanted to document my real estate journey for other military members that were interested in real estate and then help them out along the way. And that kind of has kind of evolved into we share everything we're doing in the real estate space. And then I also use that platform to help mentor other military members um, and help them along their journey for free. So last year I did a little over 53 hours of my time for free mentoring other military folks. And that's kind of like the way I like to contribute back, you know, like to share my knowledge. I don't want to like charge people for that time or anything. So 
I love doing that. And that's a goal for this year as well as to do another at least 52 hours of uh, free mentoring for military folks about real estate. And so last year, got into syndications on the GP side. I had invested in syndications as an LP. And I thought it was a pretty interesting model, how you could just get a team of people together to do like a bigger project. I, I thought that was really interesting. I it generally work well in teams. So that was appealing to me. And another thing that inspired me is I'm in a mastermind group called GoBundance as well. And I had heard more financially successful uh, GoBros say that they wish they had gone bigger earlier in their career. So I was like, okay, let me, I could keep doing single family homes or I could just like, try to get, go to that next level, try to go bigger, set my goals bigger than just single family homes. So wanted to get into a syndication. And so was asked to join on the, it's called the Campfire Fund. It's an RV park syndication fund. It's currently a 506C. So for accredited investors only, but we're buying RV parks all along the Sunbelt. So from Arizona, basically over across to the Carolinas. And we think the RV asset class is kind of similar to like what self-storage and mobile home parks were like 10 years ago. Like like if you told someone 10 years ago, like you're buying a mobile home park, they think you're crazy. But you do it now, like everyone's crazy about our mobile home parks and all that because it's like affordable housing, etc. So we think RV parks are kind of the next big thing because over 80% of RV parks are owned by you know, mom and pop, like they're not professionally owned. They're not professionally managed. They're not priced correctly. They don't integrate technology. They don't have good websites, all that kind of stuff. And there's such a increased demand for RVs. More people are traveling via RVs as the baby boomers are getting older. They're starting to retire. You have people working remotely. You have families that have sold their homes that are now just living out of RVs and they just travel where the good weather is. So the other kind of thing where it's like, it's not easy to just like build an RV park. You know, you got it permanent. You got to like lay the you know, pads, hundred pads out, you know, everywhere. So it's, there are some barriers to entry there as well. So we see it as a really interesting asset class. And so we're pretty excited about it. And my involvement has been in both the acquisition side. So helping acquire parks and then also in the capital raising side and then just general investor relations, you know, doing calls, keeping everyone updated on it. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. So I just want to ask, so let's take a quick step back, RV park. So if for our listener who's hearing RV parks for the first time, what is an RV parking and how can one identify or even find one? For example, for like myself, I don't have an RV right. and I personally don't even know where the RV parkings are. So what consists on the RV parking? Let's start from the basic, if you don't mind. Yeah. So RV stands for recreational vehicle. And a lot of people buy these, they're kind of like these homes on wheels and they come at very different sizes. You can have them like massive luxury, really nice half a million dollar RVs all the way down to 
smaller two-person, $10,000, $5,000 smaller RVs. So people buy these and rent these and they use them to travel the country. So it's a great way to, you know, kind of the American spirit, you know, getting out on the open road, visiting friends and family, going to national parks, all that kind of stuff. And so you have these you know, you have to stay somewhere, right? You can't just stay on the side of the highway. So there are these RV parks all along the country where these people stay and they can plug in their RV and have like electricity. They can have water. Many RV parks will have pools or lakes. You can like rent a canoe. You can, you know, so it's a real vacation mm-hmm. hospitality kind of vibes. A lot of them have restaurants there, depending on the size. You can rent canoes, rent golf cart, get your propane filled up and all that. So it's really like a cultural thing here in America, you know, the road tripping. And with the COVID environment, you have more and more people that are able to work remotely. So you have people that don't have to you know, work in an office. And so they're just living in these RVs and traveling the country. They have satellite Wi-Fi and they can do their job from anywhere in the country. So yeah, it's a pretty exciting thing. And it's a growing industry. There's a big shortage of RVs. Like they can't produce them fast enough to keep up with the demand. So that's another uh, big plus of it. So yeah, we're pretty pumped about it. No, I totally understand. I do have co-workers who are actually working out of the RV and they were traveling around the country basically, but just working off the RV itself. Yeah. And so at the RV parking itself, you mentioned that there might be legs, something like that. So if we do, in my mind, if we're comparing to like a camping areas where there's a spot for you there's waters there like barbecue areas and everything for you where you just park your rv and just stay there for a day or even a week and just pay for the fee correct right exactly like some of them will have like nice laundry services all kinds of stuff fishing you know it just depends on the area some of them are in the mountains some of them but they have them all over the country and a lot of them are in florida very popular in florida because the weather's good year-round so that's another reason we're buying in the Sun Belt is because we want parks where people are going to be year round, not uh, up in Minnesota where maybe it's only in the summertime people are traveling up there. So Sun Belt, you know, along an interstate in or near a big city. We have one in Nashville and one just outside of Nashville. And then we have another one in Alabama on a lake and then we're under contract on one in Texas, one in Nashville. That's the second one in Nashville and then one in Arizona as well. So. so you mentioned about you are part of the acquisition team where you acquiring the RV parks. How do someone wanted to start with the RV park investing? How do they find these type of deals or, or even a good deal? Right. So the, I mean, the easiest place is going to be like your LoopNet, CoStar, you know, commercial brokers, you know, have these RV park owner clients and they list them for them. So a lot of it's like any kind of commercial real estate, it's broker relationships and knowing the people who have the deals. Another way we have sourced leads is through uh, cold calling. And I spent a lot of time, almost two years of the last three years doing text messaging to get off-market leads. So we actually got one RV park under contract from text messaging. So uh, that's another way to do it. But yeah. Congratulations on that. Yeah. Thank you. So when you're looking at a deals for an RV park, what are some of the things that you look at? Let's talk about revenue and expense itself. So from a revenue standpoint, what's some of the things that RV park can generate revenue? Yeah, that's a good question. So you have your nightly pad rate. So in these numbers really vary depending on the location, the amenities and all that kind of stuff. But it's usually anywhere from... It also depends on the size of your RV. So if you have a small RV, you're not going to pay as much as like a big one. So anywhere from... $50, $75 up to you know, a couple hundred dollars a night, something like that. 
and like I said, a lot of these mom and pop RV parks are not priced at the correct market rate. So we can go in and just immediately start charging market rate for those and then drive up the NOI, right? Another thing that we can do is a unique strategy that we use is we put tiny homes on some of these RV parks, and then you can rent out these tiny homes as a short-term rental, like on Airbnb. So you can use that to drive up your NOI. There's one that has a restaurant that we just like got all the licensing and all that stuff for, for the restaurant. And now the restaurant's open. So that's going to generate some NOI rentals. There's all kinds of things you do. It really just depends on the specific RV park as you know what the opportunity is. For example, the one in Alabama, that one we purchased from an owner. He had passed away. And so his family then owned it, but they didn't want to deal with the RV park. And the owner that passed away, he had plans to grow, to add like 100 or 120 pads to it, but he hadn't started it yet. So it was currently, well, it is currently now only 40 or 42 pads. So we are basically continuing his business plan of adding 100 plus pads. So now we're going to go from 40 to like 120 or so. And so you can imagine that's going to make the NOI explode once we, you know, lay the concrete and get the hookups and all that kind of stuff. So there's like the value add RV park, you know, kind of like you have in multifamily, but then we also will buy them more of a turnkey type of purchase where maybe there's just little tweaks we can make with management or like update the website or, or create a website. Some of them don't have websites. So some that are more turnkey, they don't need a massive project value add, but it's just more like, hey, the cash flow is good. We can make little adjustments, maybe raise uh, the, the nightly pad rate a little bit, and then drive the NO up that, NOI up that way. So in terms of value add components of it, you talk about adding additional pads. It has to have additional lanes to accommodate that, right? In right. order for you to do that. Right. Yeah, it does. And so that's just part of the due diligence, you know, as we do is we'll look into the property. And, and we knew that one in Alabama that we're adding the 100 pads, you know, we knew that that was the owner's plan. So we knew that there was already the land to do it. I don't know the specific if he had already started the process with the city and all that stuff. I don't think he had because I know we've spent a lot of the last six months or so since we bought it kind of going through that process. Because as you can imagine, that's getting the approvals for all that kind of stuff kind of takes a while. But that's something we identify when we are assessing it and doing the underwriting and doing the due diligence. It's like, where can we add value to it? And as you know, there's a lot of different ways you can add value. So That makes sense. And what's the typical expense on an RV park? It really just depends. I mean, you do have power that you have to pay into the city and management. So the management also depends on the size of the park. Um, You know, if you have a restaurant, obviously you got to have restaurant staff and all that. Uh, But one one unique advantage that that we have uh, in the Campfire Fund is... Um, the, the parent company that runs the fund, they have another company that is a specifically an RV park management company. So it specializes in executing those business plans and the continued management of it. So, you know, as you can imagine with like multifamily, lots of companies out there that can do multifamily management, there aren't nearly as many that can do RV parks because typically with RV parks, it's going to be mom and pop that were managing it and then maybe they live there or live nearby and they were managing the park or maybe they had it's also common in RV parks to have like one person that maybe lives there full time and they get like free nightly rate kind of like a mobile home park where they get live mm-hmm. there for free and they're managing it so that's an advantage we have is we have an actual company that is professionally managing a lot of these 
Um, the one in Arizona, I think that one already has pretty good management and that's further away from a lot of the other ones. So we'll probably keep that management team there. But there in the Southeast, we have our own management team that's kind of running it. So that's another you know, uh, advantage that we have. What about in terms of the tax itself? Is it a lot more than you typically see in a multifamily space or is it kind of like a, the same? I don't know the specifics on the taxes, to be honest. Yeah, that is not... Uh, I'm not the underwriter. And honestly, I I, I don't really know. Um, okay. I, I do know that the the tax advantages as far as like depreciation um, and all that, it is comparable to multifamily, especially when we put those tiny those tiny houses those cabins on what we can, we do that. We can get the cost seg um, off of those cabins in addition to the other property, the other components of the property to get some more depreciation. Yep. That makes sense. And I know there's a more of a numbers type. So I just want to ask like uh, what for RV parks, what, how much it usually costs uh, itself? I know it depends on how large it is, how many pads are there, but what's a typical uh, cost that you see? Yeah, I think the one in like Alabama, I think we bought that one for about three and a half million and that was 42 pads, but that one had the room for expansion. And then we're under contract on another one in Texas and that one is much bigger, but that one's eight and a half million. So. Got it. And in terms of financing itself, is it a typical financing the same thing as like a single family home or multifamily or is it different? Yeah, it's more similar to multifamily where you get commercial financing on them. Banks are not as eager to lend on RV parks as they are like multifamily. So a lot of the times the financing isn't quite as good, to be honest. But, you know, because banks are, they see multifamily as like, you know, housing and all that. So, it, and it's something they're more familiar with, right? So, but we do get financing. Each deal is dependent, you know, each individual one. But, um, Two of the properties we are under contract on now, we do have seller financing in place, which is, a, as you know, is a huge, yeah, two big thumbs up, right? Because if we, you know, they're paid off and I think we got interest only for five years, I think, as part of that seller financing. So it's like, yeah, so that's great. That's a huge win. And I think the third one we're under contract on, we're trying to convince them to do seller financing. <laughs> so yeah, because we're seeing... You know, the rates we're seeing, I think the lowest one was probably 5.97% wow. on the commercial financing and as high as like seven plus. So uh, that seller financing is sweet. It's a very sweet opportunity these days. That's really awesome. And I want to switch gear to, for example, as an investor or, or our listeners. And I know this is all projected numbers and uh, we want to be in SEC compliant. We don't want to make any promises or anything like sure. that. But to invest in an RV parking, what is a typical return or projected return that an investor should expect? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's comparable, if not a little bit better than a multifamily syndication. So it is... You do have to be accredited to invest in this one, but we do have uh, two different options. There's a yield and an equity option. And for the yield one, it's a much higher pref than you see in a lot of multifamily deals. And then for the one that's a lower pref that has the equity upside, um, that one is, I would expect at least a two, 2.0 equity multiple, but you know, projecting, but it really just depends on how the deals go and all that. So. Don't hold me to that. I think that's a reasonable expectation as far as the equity multiple. Got it. Okay. And then uh, the business plan itself, uh, what is a typical business plan in terms of you were talking about the value add and what about the exit uh, business plan? Is it a typical like 
five years, three years, seven years? What should someone expect? In our deck, we're advertising to investors a five to seven year hold as the expected. Now, will it go less than that? Possibly. And then I think that the th- there's a few different outcomes, whether it's selling off the parks individually, you know, refinancing out the investors. That's probably not the most likely option. I would say the most likely option would be selling them as a portfolio to like the bigger private equity firms. So uh, I know I asked a lot of questions on the different properties and all that, but I want to ask you personally instead some of the questions. You are an active duties uh, U.S. Navy officers, of course, and you know, like busy. Your time is very, very busy. How did you do all this? How did you manage all this, especially having an eight-month-old child? How did you do all this? Any tips to let our you know listener know? Especially majority of us are of course W two workers, so sure. we we have the same thing. Nine to five, we all locked up, right? So how how do we do all this? I wake up really early. That's part of it. <laughs> but seriously though, I think there's two big components to this. One, having a really strong why. You know, so like for someone that wants to do what I've been doing, you have to have a reason for why you're waking up early, why you are doing podcasts and mentoring people and waking up you know, at, at 5 a.m. on the weekends and reading and all that kind of stuff. So I have a pretty clear vision for like where my family, where I want to be, where you know, I want our family to be 10 years from now. And so it's just having a really strong vision for the future. And I think that's what keeps you going when it gets challenging. And when you have the ups and downs, you know, because it's a lot of people, you know, you only see the ups on social media and all that stuff, but there's a lot of downs in there as well. So you have to be able to have a good reason to keep going when it's challenging. And then, so that's one component. So having a strong vision, having a strong why. The other component would be being in a mastermind, mastermind group, or just surrounding yourself with like-minded people. They're going to keep you motivated. They're going to hold you accountable for your goals and all that. So I think those two are the biggest components to my success so far, I think. So Doug, what has real estate investing impacted your life so far? I think it's really just time freedom and it's being able to kind of look to the future with my wife and see what our life is going to look like once we hit our goals and then tracking our goals every year and every quarter and kind of seeing that progress, you know, slowly get closer and closer to that. Because if it's you know, I have a big goal. And if I'm like, oh, I need to, it can get overwhelming if I try to, you know, think about that goal all the time. But as long as I keep reminding myself and I'm making little bits of progress, you know, all the time, that 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 keeps me motivated. So, Doug, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and talk to us today about a lot of things, basically, you know, how you get started with real estate and uh, a lot of tips uh, for someone can get ahead, learning about the birds, the turnkey, the flips, uh, the RV parking, what to expect. So if our listener wanted to find out more about you or reaching out to you or invest with you, where can they go? Yeah, so I think there's two really good places at Honor and Equity on Instagram. And... You can reach out to us. I read all the messages personally between me and my sister-in-law, who's my business partner on a lot of the stuff. And so her and I are pretty active on there. So between the website and uh, Instagram, we're also on Twitter as well. So feel free to follow us there. Awesome. Doug, thank you so much for spending time with us today. So we appreciate you. Thank you very much, Sayla. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. 
We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate? We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. If you're anything like Zayla and me and believe that real estate investing is a great way to create passive income and build long-term wealth, check out our free apartment syndication due diligence checklist for passive investors at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Zayla and I created this checklist for ourselves as we evaluated different multifamily syndication opportunities as a passive investor. So we would love to share it with you so you can use it as a resource as well. Download your free copy today at bonavestcapital.com forward slash checklist. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonavestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.